the Scoobola Cast. Listen up, normies. It's time to talk some shit. This is the Scoobola Cast, where we talk holy shit about what it means to follow Jesus in the sacred chaos of the 21st century. My name is Benjo. I'm a 20-something anarcho-whatever pastor committed to creating safe spaces for figuring out faith, doing the work, and getting up to holy mischief wherever and whenever we need to. So for the next chunk of time, I'm just talking head on a podcast, and you're listening to this for some reason, so good luck to you. Let's get into it. Strange overtones in the music you What's wrong with the world, mama? People are living like they got no mama. Um, It's bad out there, y'all. It is bad town USA out there. Um, Anka Jams? Okay. Okay. We're just going to get into it today. Um... Welcome to the Scuba Cast. I have my cup of coffee here. I'm going to take a little sippy. This is the ASMR portion of the podcast. I'd like to welcome you to the Scuba Cast. My name is Scuba Paul, a.k.a. Uh, ben Joe Razan, a.k.a. AKA the guy who um, woke up really early this morning and I didn't feel like P. Diddy. Um, this is the Scuba Cast. Uh, it's the podcast where we, uh, I suppose, try to really engage with Christian faith and see how it all connects with the world that we're socially bound up in, whether that be systems of capitalism, uh, economics, class, um, things like that. You might say that we're trying to do, um, we're trying to be social bodies from a faith perspective. Um, if that's what you're into, then uh, sick with it. If not, uh, but you're still listening, um, good on you for trying something out. <sighs> so before we get started on our new series, which is the series that I said I'd start before um, the last two episodes, which is a really confusing way to put that. Essentially, this is the series that I was going to do two weeks ago, but I did a pivot. Pivot! Um, I don't like friends, but I have to make that joke. Um, And essentially what this new series is going to be about is the primary goal of capitalism and some of the material costs that it levies upon our lives and relationships, almost as if there's a Ten Commandments that it has to follow. First, I want to mention a couple things. Um, If you've been a long-time listener, first-time caller kind of deal, or if you're new and you listen to this episode and you have a lot of questions... um, I want to get in touch. I live in California. I live in Los Angeles. Um, uh, I'd even like to grab coffee if that's something that's available for you guys. But uh, in in any other case, you can always hit me up on Scubalo Posting on Instagram or at benjamin.razon430 at gmail.com. This is just um, an attempt to, I guess, build solidarity. So if there's any things that you'd like to think through or talk talk through, hit me up and say hello. Um, Another thing is thank you for listening. 
Um, I would keep doing this even if there was only one of you. Um, but thankfully there is more than one of you and a good, a great deal more than one of you who, um, continually listen. Um, if you would like, if there's any pod, any episode that, um, really resonated with you or could, or you think might resonate with a friend, uh, send it to them. Um, one of the goals of my podcast is, uh, to help increase the the reach that this content has, um, uh, to re- to find ears that have perhaps been indoctrinated into thinking that Jesus himself was a defender of capitalism, or that exploitation is actually natural to humanity, and that there can be no other way, or that poverty and homelessness and extreme inequality drawn along the lines of class, race, and gender exist because people are simply bad with money and haven't taken the Dave Ramsey course at church. Um, as a as a Marxist whose socialist politics have emerged from my distinctly Christian conviction, convictions, convictions, I'm trying to offer an alternative message, right? That that helps the working class people in the pews to see how capitalism exploits them and their loved ones, how capitalism anti democratically and hierarchically constrains the power of many while enabling the power of the few, how capitalism concentrates collectively produced wealth into the hands of a few elites, and how capitalism is profoundly connected to all those other things we care about, from things like poverty and homelessness to racial and gender inequality, and even why so many people all over the world are rapidly being displaced and being forced to migrate. We live right now in a reality where uh, Putin has invaded Ukraine and the U.S. is continuing to do all of its imperialism across the world. Oh, I meant Ukraine. Did I? Uh, I don't even remember what I said. I think Putin invaded, I might have said U.S., but I meant Ukraine. And if I didn't, then uh, I should never doubt myself. Um, but Uh, All of this to say that I have a Marxist Christian message that I would like to share with y'all, and I'd like to share it with the folks in our lives who need to hear this the most. At the very least, I'm making this podcast for those of you who are holding on to faith with whatever thread is left of whatever, from whatever traumatic experiences or awful experiences. histories with with the church um, and for the faith curious who have no idea what they're getting themselves into uh, there is a way forward that feels honest and genuine and true so here I am uh, Marxist Christian Papa and um, thank you uh, uh, there's some things that I would like to continue to help us to do, which is to help us think about capitalism in relation to faith, imperialism, poverty, feminism, and anti-racism, um, as we learn about uh, different kinds of communisms and more. And uh, I'm excited to learn alongside you guys as I do the research and then just kind of plop it on the internet. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about people, like I've already got things lined up where we're going to talk about U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, Norway. It's going to be pretty fun. So that's enough of that. We're going to dive into this series, in the, which is going to be called, um, uh, I don't know what it's going to be called. You'll know in the title. Essentially, I want to just do two things in this series. 
two simple things. First, I want to reflect on the passages where Jesus is questioned about the first and greatest commandment and how a particular understanding of the greatest commandments might help us understand the number one priority, the primary goal, the objective ultimately of capitalism. Then, once we've reflected on the notion of the first and greatest commandments, as well as capitalism's primary goal, we'll take a look at some of the consequences and costs that result from the system's ultimate objective. Uh, How does capitalism's greatest commandment inform and influence our relationships at work, our relationships around rent and debts, relationships at home and in our communities, relationships with people living beyond the U.S. mainland, and finally, our relationships we have with the rest of beloved creation. Under capitalism, all of our relationships are profoundly shaped, if not entirely, subjected to the system's first and greatest commandment, which means that capitalism's primary goal and material consequences for us affect us whether or not we morally agree with its number one priority. But before we get um, ahead of ourselves, we're going to just dive into today's episode from the get-go. We got two things on the agenda. Number one, what are the first and greatest commandments and what do they have to do with our ways of being and relating to the world? Number two, what is the greatest commandment of capitalism and why are people um, uh, not able to simply opt out? The Gospel of Mark is widely accepted to be the oldest gospel we have. In leading up to its first commandment, uh, (laughs) curse commandment text, first commandment text as it's translated in my NRSV found in chapter 12, Um, also something very, very important regarding the significance of Mark's greatest commandment text uh, is that over and over again, Mark seems to suggest um, that there's a contradiction an antagonism between the way of being within the values of Jesus and the way of being and the values of the religious elites uh, who, and this is important, have politically and economically sided with Rome, the um, imperial power. Mark's first commandment passage emerges out of this antagonistic relationship that apparently cannot be resolved between Jesus and the people who sit at the top of social hierarchies and economic inequalities. This is where you might say that Jesus um, took some pretty drastic sides. In chapter 11, he, uh, he wrecks the lucrative businesses happening in the powerful and exploitative temple uh, economy. And this radical event is supposed to symbolically reveal the religious elite's commitment not to the well-being of the people, not to the poor peasants who are constantly being displaced and threatened with poverty under Roman Empire, but... Um, the allegiance to empire and its concerns. In chapter 12, the antagonism continues. It might be helpful to first mention verses 13 through 17, where Jesus uh, turns his being questioned about taxes into an opportunity to reveal yet again that the religious elites have decided not to side yet again with the brutally exploited and oppressed masses from which they themselves were actually extracting wealth through tithes but instead to side with the political powers and economic powers of Rome by asking them in verse 16 um, to bring him a denarius. And Jesus asks these religious elites to bring him a denarius. The following four words is the punchline of the story. And they brought one. The question the ancient audience would have asked is, how in the world did they even have this Roman form of currency? Because it shouldn't be obvious to us that everybody traded in Roman currency. Um, Bartering and uh, uh, paying in kind was so much more common. In order to get a minted coin, um, it means something. So the answer for us is obvious. 
Um, I mean, the answer for them is obvious, maybe less obvious to us. They got it from the hands of the Roman elites who they served with above all else, pulling the currency with Caesar's face on it out from their very own pockets. The audience, the ancient audience would know that the religious elites faith in their ways of being in the world were very much in sync with the desires of the ruling elite and the, and the preceding parable of the wicked tenants. Um, this story again can be heard as telling us that Jesus and the religious elites are at odds with one another because not only of the different gods they serve and the consequences that result um, from that, um, from their very different kinds of faith, it's an irresolvable contradiction, and the opposing camps are destined to clash. Now, to be clear, they were all Jewish. I'm not saying that they were a different religious tradition or that or that that would even matter. Jesus lived and died a first century Palestinian Jew, as did the religious elites he was butting heads with. But just because you're in the same religious tradition, use the same theological language, doesn't mean that you embody the same faith or live out the same values or even worship the same God. Um, Judaism in the first century is just as non-monolithic as it is today, just as Christianity is non-monolithic. Um, in, in effect, these people were rejecting Jesus, as the parable of the wicked tenant suggests, the religious elites were rejecting the God of Jesus, whose work and desires um, fundamentally threatened the power and wealth that Caesar and Herod had destructively built their thrones upon. And after Mark clearly conveys this irreconcilable antagonism between the two values of Jesus and the values of the oppressive and exploitative status quo, we get to verse 20 through 34, where a curious scribe asks Jesus, which commandment is the first of all? So let's take a step back here. We know um, that in Mark, the faith of Jesus is at odds with the faith of the religious elite and in the faith uh, face of empire. By faith, I don't mean belief, but rather a way of being and relating to the world, maybe closer to the world uh, loyalty. Um, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, we know that the Roman Empire is tied up with oppression and militarism and exploitation that together shore up extreme inequalities and unjust hierarchies and unnecessary suffering among the people. And we know that Jesus in uh, pursuit of the coming eschaton, right, or the kingdom of God, is pitting himself against their values and their ways of being in the world, which must include the systems and structures which ensure their positions of superiority over others. And so how Jesus responds to this question concerning the first commandment, I believe, has to be understood in the context of this irresolvable contradiction between the two opposing camps. Jesus responds with two commandments that are perhaps best understood as symbiotically related to one another, um, meaning that there are two interesting parts of the greater whole. This is what he says, right? First is, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Um, it's widely accepted that Jesus here is summarizing the Torah and the teachings, um, uh, and the Torah and the teachings or the law of Moses, right? So like today, talking about loving God and neighbor would not have been considered scandalous or subversive or even novel at all. The first century audience would have been familiar with those passages in Deut Deuteronomy and Leviticus, but understood in the context of irreconcilable difference and irreconcilable contradiction, these commandments are more than just summarization of the Torah. The summarization of the Torah, the first and greatest commandments, according to Jesus, puts us at odds with political systems and the economic structures and the social borders that serve the interests of the wealthy and the powerful at the expense of everyone else. Most brutally, the least of these, it could be said that Jesus, Caesar, 
um, Herod and the religious elites all have their own set of first and greatest commandments. And when they embodied and practiced their particular first and greatest commandments, they were led to materialize very different worlds, very different kinds of relationships. The different gods that they all ended up serving and different values they were all living out brought them to materialize and create different worlds, both for themselves and for all that they were in relation to, all that they were bound up within the social world with. We could say that the first and greatest commandments of Jesus and his opponents have very different goals and conflicting outcomes, and that's because the first and greatest commandments transform our lives, our relationships, and our ways of being in the world. They're the exact posture with which we relate to the social body, and that's what these commandments are all about. They orient our ways of being in the world, they shape how we see ourselves and others, they influence and inform who we really are and how we relate to those around us. Um, The first and greatest commandments are just values that have no material consequences for the world. First and greatest commandments lead us to live in some ways and not in others. They guide us to relate in some ways and not in others, to exist in some ways and not others. That's where the contradictory commandments and antagonistic goals become a problem for Jesus and the people of power. He continually struggled with the outcomes, and the world and the relationships that resulted from their conflicting allegiances are irresolvable for Jesus. Um, Now, there is a huge liberal impulse to... Um, kind of like a wave the celebrate diversity flag, which is going to reconcile the tension between those who want to rule over others and those who were ruled over, those who wanted to accumulate wealth for themselves and those who are left without even basic means of survival, those who are willing to let others suffer for their own gain and those who suffer. Um, There was no, you have your ways of exploitation and oppression. I have my neighborly love, agree to disagree. Um, that way is not the way of Jesus. To love God and neighbor was um, to actually threaten the systems and structures in which Caesar, Herod, and the religious elites had built their empires upon. Okay, so, but what does this have to do with the system and relationships of capitalism? Before we even mean the greatest, before we even like get to the, the greatest commandment and ultimate concern of capitalism, there's something unique and peculiar about this commandment that we need to keep in mind. Under capitalism, none of this could ever escape the reach of its greatest commandment. The consequences of of capitalism's first and greatest commandment influence and impact us all, whether we are workers or bosses, debtors or lenders, landlords or renters, investors, or those who lose out from uh, disinvestment. The the primary goal of capitalism is not just something that some people get to internalize and others don't. We're all powerfully affected by its primary goal for reasons we'll talk about in a second. But I just wanted to get it out there that there is no escaping the consequences that result from the system's number one priority. That is, as long as the system remains in place and the primary goal, the objective ultimately of capitalism, as Marx put it in volume one of Capital, is, quote, the unceasing movement of profit making. It is not the production of useful or even essential things, Marx observes. Capitalism is not first and foremost interested in ending things like poverty or homelessness, or racial and gender inequality. It's not even for the profit of any one single transaction. Rather, quote, this boundless drive for enrichment, this passionate chase after value is common to the capitalist and the miser. But all the miser is, is merely a capitalist gone mad. The capitalist is a rational miser. The ceaseless augmentation of value that 
the, mi- the miser seeks to attain by saving his money from circulation is achieved by the more acute capitalist by means of throwing his money again and again into circulation. Ceaseless, never-ending compound growth is the first and greatest commandment of capitalism. Because as Marx describes here, money that the miser hides away can't increase or expand if it's stashed in a mattress or buried in the ground. For a person to play the role of a capitalist, for a person's money to simply be money but to be uh, not to simply be money but to be capital the capitalist must continually put their wealth into a circulatory process that expands the value of their original investment unlike the worker the capitalist starts with one value at the beginning of the day the week the quarter for some the nanosecond in exchange uh, uh, to receive a greater value later on whereas the worker exchanges their labor for wage valued far less than the value that they actually produce, or whereas the working class exchanges its money for commodities that they need for survival like food, water, clothes, and shelter, the employer capitalist exchanges their money for people's labor, and the landlord capitalist buys up land and housing, and the lending capitalist gives out loans, and the venture capitalist buys up cheap commodities so that the value of the original investment can return to them as a greater value, so they can get more money back than what they actually put in. The capitalist can't just expand their capital capital or grow their wealth once, they are systemically compelled to pursue this unceasing movement of profit-making relentlessly. In her classic uh, the Origin of Capitalism, Ellen Maskin's Wood says that capitalism is the production and self-expansion of capital. And in his book, Capital City, Salstein gives the system's first and greatest commandment a very religious tone. He says, quote, growth is not just good, growth is God. Because of what Marx refers to as uh, the course of law of competition, which is basically the fact that capitalist markets force us to fiercely compete. Even the employer, the banker, the investor, the landlord, you might morally disagree with, uh, the consequences that result from capitalism's primary goal cannot escape the systemic compulsion to endlessly accumulate more and more wealth. Even capitalists, as self-determined as they think they are, are structurally subjected to the desires of the God that is growth. And this is true whether they want it to be or not. But listen, there are material costs and relational consequences that result from a world that is above all faithful to the pursuit of endless economic growth, as we'll talk about through uh, more throughout the series. The production and self-expansion of capitalism means working employees harder and faster and longer and paying as little as a boss possibly can pay or laying them off when it's less profitable to employ the current number of workers. Expansion means increasing dependence upon landlords, increasing dependence upon debt, and then raising both rents and interest rates. Expansion often means displacing people from their land, disrupting the well-being of communities, devouring familial relationships, and creating conditions where people are forced to migrate across the world so that they can find someone to exploit their labor for a wage. Expansion can lead uh, one country to invade another with the hopes of extracting their resources and create an ever more vulnerable source of labor to exploit. Because at the end of the day, capitalists and even countries must compete for economic growth. For the last four to five hundred years, capitalism's boundless drive for enrichment, its ultimate allegiance to the unceasing movement of profit-making, has profoundly shaped the world in which we now live. In the following episodes, we're going to talk about what that has meant for working peoples and for surplus populations who are denied wages or debtors and renters for disproportionately exploited countries and for the planet. 
Jesus found a contradiction between the first and greatest commandments to which he subscribed on one hand and the structures that produced immense inequality, hierarchy, and violence on the other. And it came, and he came to see that a world shaped by exploitation, domination, and oppression could not be reconciled with a world shaped by love of neighbor. And so as a Christian socialist, I want to realize a world where our places of work, our homes, and our communities are genuinely democratic where generations after us would be able to enjoy and care for a beautiful and thriving planet, but capitalism's god of growth is standing in our way. I hope you'll join me in the series as we take a look at how it directly affects our everyday lives, um, because we can't wait for another day to start organizing and struggling as a class for a world without capitalism's hierarchies and inequalities, and a world that puts people and the planet over profit. Thanks for listening. I wouldn't do it if it weren't for you guys, and... Um, Thanks for believing that an alternative world is possible. Burn Babylon down. Mm-hmm.